Hey, this is Travis Bennett, the pastor here at Arena of Life Church, and I just want to welcome you to our podcast. I pray this builds your faith, encourages you, and brings you to newer levels in Christ. Enjoy the message. All right, well, let's just go ahead and jump in the text here, Hebrews chapter 5. We're going to start in verse 12, and it says this, King James, for when, the, for when for the time ye ought to be teachers, ye have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and are become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. Verse 13, for everyone that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. So he says, therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on unto perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, of the doctrine of baptism, the laying on of hands and the resurrection of the dead and of eternal judgment. If you haven't been here and this is your first night here, what we've been talking about is the writer of Hebrews, which I do not know who is. I wish I did. That's going to be my first question when I get to, when I, when I get to the pearly gates. I'm going to say, Peter, before you show me my mansion, I need to know who wrote the book of Hebrews. Was it Paul? Is going to be my question. But um, he's writing to these people that had lived under the law. They, they knew the systems of the law. They thought like the law. They talked like the law. And he's saying, you are no longer under the curse of the law. And what he's trying to get them to think, think like, he's trying to open their eyes to, he said, for the longest time, you've been like babies and drinking milk, and it's time to now get meat in you. But if you don't understand what the milk of the Word of God is, you're going to have a hard time getting the meat. And uh, those of you that have been here, we, when we talked about it in the first two weeks, there's people that are dysfunctional in their belief. In fact, I was talking to somebody tonight about something that is clearly in the Word of God. I mean, it is a strong stance in the Word of God, but people can't see it. But they'll have a hard time doing that when they ha don't have a good foundation. And if you were on this morning, I, I gave the example of this. of we Our first home that we built, very cookie-cutter home in a cookie-cutter neighborhood. But it was built on a playa lake. And within the first year, we had huge cracks and crown molding in different places uh, because, at one, because of the settling that happened. And that's the thing. When we have something wrong with the foundation, it affects everything above it, right? And so we don't, we don't complain when there's a problem with the foundation. We complain when there is a problem with the foundation. And so it's good to just come back, and there may be some things in here that you say, well, I've known that forever, Pastor. Well, it's just good to clarify it because sometimes you just got to come back to We've got to get back to the basics of life, like the song, all right? And so we've got to get back to the basics and, and, and make sure we have a good understanding. There's times where I have resets in the Bennett home and say, all right, got to get back to the foundations. Because how many of y'all know it gets scattered from time to time? Everybody going in different directions, and so it's important that we have all these doctrines down. And so two weeks ago, we talked about repentance from dead works. Last week, we talked about faith toward God. How many of y'all were here last week for faith toward God? All right. It's nothing of what you've done. It's everything that he's done. Aren't you thankful for that? 
Uh, we have faith for healings. We have faith for the supernatural. We have faith for the breakthrough. But this faith is talking about the faith that he has forgiven you of your sins. And he's cleansed you from all unrighteousness. And it's nothing of what we have done. But it's but everything that he has done. But I said it this morning. I want to bring it up tonight of this. Think about this. If you don't have a good foundation of There's a reason these are in order. Because if you don't have a good foundation of repentance, you won't. You won't know what it's like to have a faith toward God. Because what are you going to have a faith in if you haven't repented and, and turned your direction to go towards Him? And then you have a faith toward God. And I'm telling you, if you don't have a faith in God, what's the point of doing baptism? Because this is an act of obedience. And then from the doctrine of baptism, even to the laying on of hands. And if you haven't been obedient in the doctrine of baptism, uh, it's going to be really weird for you laying on of hands like COVID six feet. Get away. Right. You know what I'm saying? And so and, and next week, I really believe that uh, uh, I taught this to a group of men and we had a time where we did a laying on of hands. And I'm telling you, there's there is something powerful when hands are laid on you. And so um, uh, let's go into it. Y'all ready tonight? The doctrine of baptisms. It doesn't say baptism. It says, let's move on and look at the next elementary doctrine listed in Hebrews chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. And if you're new here tonight, I write this out because I am a preacher. I am not a teacher. But this helps me stay on track to, uh, uh, to be a little bit of a teacher here. So go through this with us. That the Holy Spirit considered vital for us to know in order to have a strong foundation. It says, therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on to perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, of the doctrine of baptisms. Notice that the phrase doctrine of baptisms, doctrine of baptism, that's the first one you can fill out there, doesn't say the doctrine of baptism. It specifically says the doctrine of baptisms, plural. That's very interesting to note because in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 5, the Apostle Paul wrote that there is one Lord, one faith, and one baptism. In Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 4 and 5, let's go ahead and read it. It says, there is one body and one spirit, even as ye are called in one hope of your calling. Verse 5, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. So in one verse, the Bible tells us there is one baptism. And in another verse, it says there are multiple baptisms. Is this a conflict? You can bet that there is no conflict in Scripture and that there is not a conflict here. Right? First, we must understand what the Apostle Paul referred to in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 5 when he said, One Lord, one faith, one baptism. The one baptism Paul wrote about in this verse is a divine transaction. Divine transaction. That occurs the, the very moment a person is miraculously converted. We will look more into this uh, initial baptism later. But for now, I want to mention that after this one baptism, there are two additional baptisms that God has designed for every believer to experience. We're going to cover all three of these baptisms tonight because all are foundational for you to know and experience so you can grow in your walk with God as he intended. Before we go further in our discussion of three baptisms, different baptisms in a Christian life, let's first get a new view into the meaning of the word baptism. The word is a translation of the Greek word baptizo, which it means to wash, to dip, or to fully immerse by something into 
by someone into something. Does it say sprinkle? Does it say squirt them with a squirt gun? I don't think it does. But the oldest historical usage of the Greek word baptizo described what a person did when he wanted to change the color of a garment. This is so interesting. Lean in here. That person would dip the garment into a vat of dye and then and then leave it in the dye long enough for the material to become saturated with the new color. I'm sure Jesus had tie dye robes back then. And when the person finally extracted the garment from the dye, the garment had become so saturated with the dye that it came out of the vat a brand new color. You're not getting it yet. Looking completely different than it did before being dipped into that dye. So the original meaning of the Greek word baptizo was actually to dip and dye. And that's exactly what happens to us spiritually when we came into Christ. In that moment of salvation, when we repented and received Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we were instantaneously dipped into and saturated with his precious blood. Can I get an amen tonight? Aren't you thankful for that? In Romans chapter 6 and verse 3 and 4, this is a great passage of text talking about baptism. It says, know ye not that so many of us were baptized into Jesus Christ, were baptized into his death. Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism unto, into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. The blood of Jesus cleansed us and completely changed us so us that we became brand new creations. As a result, we are nothing like who we were before. Second Corinthians 5.17 says we're, we're new creation in Christ. Old things have passed away. Behold, everything has become brand new. So we were dipped and died in the blood of Jesus when we came to faith in Christ. Keep that meaning of the word baptism in mind as we go to explore what Paul was referring to when he wrote that there is one Lord, one faith, one baptism in Ephesians 4, which is the only baptism that is essential for one to be saved. But before we go further, you must understand that for any kind of baptism to occur, three elements are required. First, there must be a baptizer. Second, there must be a person who is being baptized. Third, there, is, there must be a substance into which the person is being baptized. All three of these are essential elements in any kind of baptism. So important that if someone doesn't understand these three elements, that person will never understand baptism. The first one, Holy Spirit. The first baptism, the one, the one Paul referred to in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 5 when he wrote, One Lord, one faith, one baptism, occurred in the life of every Christian the very moment he or she came in faith in Christ. This initial baptism is miraculously performed by the Holy Spirit, who in this case is the one who does the baptism, baptizing. This first supernatural baptism does not require your participation. It's something supernatural that takes place the moment you repent and call Jesus the Lord of your life. Now, in here has done that. All right, I hope every hand. If not, you come see me, like right now. We'll fix it. In that split second, come on. In that split second, faster than you can blink your eyes and without you even being aware that it's happening, the
The Holy Spirit himself baptizes or immerses you into Christ. You are baptized into the body of Christ. You see that? The Apostle Paul referred to this supernatural act of 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 13. For by one spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one spirit. Paul again referred to this first baptism in Galatians chapter 3 and verse 27. For, for as many as you have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. So this baptism by the Holy Spirit into the body of Christ is what, what Paul referred to in Ephesians chapter 4 when he wrote one Lord, one faith, one baptism. It is the baptism that comes simultaneously with salvation and is foundational for, for salvation. There is nothing we do to receive this baptism except to repent and to call Jesus Lord. Then the Holy Spirit takes over for, from, the, from there supernaturally. In some way we do not even understand, he places us into the body of Christ. The Holy Spirit baptizes us into Christ, and from that moment forward, we are in Christ, and that is good news. That's the gospel. So that's the first one, the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Here's the second one, um, or it's the baptism of the Holy Spirit there. Now here's the second one, the bab baptism uh, into Jesus. You ready? Let's move on to discuss the second baptism. This second baptism is, this, is the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And all that is required to receive it is a spiritual hunger and faith. Those that are filled with the, the Holy Spirit, would you agree with that? All that is required to receive it is a hunger and faith. When it is received, it results in supernatural power. In this case, the baptizer is Jesus, and the medium or substance into which a person is baptized is the Holy Spirit. So it's not the blood. Now we're, we're getting into the oil here. We see this, is in, this in what John the Baptist said about Jesus in Matthew 3, verse 11. I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he that cometh after me. Who's he talking about? He's talking about Jesus. Is mightier than I whose shoes I am not worthy to bear, he shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. Are you seeing that? So Jesus repented, sorry, Jesus repeated John's words in essence as he, he was preparing to ascend to heaven in Acts chapter 1 and verse 5. For, for John truly baptized you with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. What Jesus prophesied occurred on the day of Pentecost when the 120 who were assembled in the upper room were filled with the Holy Spirit. It is important to note that Jesus baptizes believers in the Holy Spirit, those who have already been baptized by the Holy Spirit in the body of Christ. In other words, those who have already received the first baptism are the ones who are eligible to receive the second baptism. They are already in Christ, and then they receive the second baptism as by faith. They ask Jesus to baptize them in the power of the Holy Spirit. Many miss this. Yet even though the second and third baptism are not essential for salvation, they are not optional from God's perspective. Certainly the early church never treated them like they were optional, although not prerequisites for a person to be born again. These other two baptisms were required in the early church for other reasons. 
And nothing has changed in how God views the necessity of these two baptism experiences. They remain as critical as they ever were to the building of strong spiritual foundation. Let's focus for now on the baptism in the Holy Spirit. For believers who desire to walk in spiritual power, they must have this second baptism, which is available to every believer. When you study the book of Acts, you will find that the early believers didn't give new converts options. Let's say that again. They didn't give new converts an, uh, an option whether or not to be in the second baptism. I mean, read the book of Acts. It was like that's what they did. They never said, well, it would be good for you to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, but you, you don't have to have it. These early Christians understood that if the new believers were going to walk in power and have victory over sin, they had to receive the baptism of the, in the Holy Spirit. It's a simple thing to receive this gift. All a believer has to do is ask in faith, and Jesus will be faithful to baptize that child of God in the power of the Holy Spirit. And Acts chapter 2 describes the first time believers experienced the baptism in the Holy Spirit. It's important to note that the 120 disciples who were in that upper room had already expressed faith in Christ and were already believers. See, they had already gone through the first step of baptism. And as followers of Jesus, they had already been water baptized just had just as he had been. So we see in Matthew chapter 3 and verse 14 through 17. And John tried to prevent him saying, I need to be baptized by you. And are you coming to me? But Jesus answered and said to him, permit it to be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he allowed him. When he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him. And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. But there was still a baptism these believers hadn't experienced. And Jesus had instructed them to wait in Jerusalem until they received this endowment of power. So in Luke chapter, in Luke 24, uh, 20. 49, it says, Behold, I send the promise of the Father upon you. I'm still talking about the book of Acts, but I'm wanting to show you this in context here. But tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. See, he's preparing them. Aren't you know you're endued with power through the power of the Holy Spirit? Then on the day of Pentecost, as those 120 were praying and waiting before the Lord, Jesus baptized everyone present into the power of God. We see it in Acts chapter 2 and verse 1. It says, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as a fire, and one sat upon each of them, and they were all, everybody say all. See, they were all. All filled, all, in, in Texan means all, all right? All filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. This was the first instance of the second baptism as Jesus immersed his church in the Holy Spirit in a supernatural display of his power. This is what Jesus wants to do for any believer today who has not yet received the infilling of the Holy Spirit. He wants to fully immerse every believer into the Holy Spirit, clothing that believer with power to more effectively serve him and the purposes of his kingdom. Amen. In fact, if you look at the pattern throughout the book of Acts, you will find 
that when people were saved, they were always led immediately to this second baptism, the infilling of the Holy Spirit. We see in Acts chapter 8, and I've preached on this many times. Now when the apostles who were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them, who when they had come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For as yet, for as yet he had fallen upon none of them, they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Do you see that? Then they laid hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. Philip went down to Samaria and preached Christ to, to the Samaritans. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard about it, they sent Peter and John, and John there. And when the apostles laid hands on the new believers, they were filled with the Holy Spirit. In other words, in, in the moment of the apostles' touch, Jesus imparted the second baptism to the people as he baptized them in the power of the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 9 and verse 17, it says, And Ananias went his way and entered the house, and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you came, has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Y'all getting something so far? Saul of Tarsus, who was later called the Apostle Paul, had just encountered Jesus and called him Lord, uh, Lord on the road to Damascus in Acts chapter 9 and verse 6. This was the moment Saul was born again. And in that moment, the Holy Spirit baptized him into Christ. Then in verse 17, Ananias prayed for him to be filled with the Holy Spirit. That was the moment Jesus baptized Saul in the, in the Holy Spirit, the second baptism. So we see in Acts chapter 10 and verse 44. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who heard the word. And those of, and those of the circumcision who believed were astonished, as many as came with Peter, because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. Here we see the example of Cornelius and his household. After hearing the gospel, all who were present believed the message of Jesus Christ that Peter was preaching, and suddenly they received the second baptism and were filled with the Spirit of God. Remember the moment a person repents and believes in Jesus? The Holy Spirit places him or her into Christ. So when verse 44 says the Holy Spirit fell on Cornelius and his entire household, that means they had just received the first baptism of the moment at the moment of salvation. That qualified them for baptism number two, which followed immediately thereafter as Jesus baptized them in the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 19 and verse 5 and 6, here's another example. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they spoke with tongues and prophesied. As the Apostle Paul entered the city of Ephesus, he met a group of men. He had never met before. Paul preached Christ to the men, and the men believed his words, which means the Holy Spirit had just baptized or immersed them into in the church. But the men still needed the second baptism. So Paul laid hands on them, and the Holy Spirit came upon them as Jesus baptized them in the Holy Spirit. This is the pattern from the beginning to the end of the book of Acts. The book of Acts really is a pattern book, not just a history book. I believe that with all my heart. It's where we find the pattern of what God expects to happen in the church throughout all time, even today. And when it comes to the first and second baptism, 
The pattern in the book of Acts is clear. People get saved and receive first baptism as the Spirit of God places them into Christ. At that point, they qualify for baptism number two. And in every instance in the book of Acts, they are always led quickly into receiving that second baptism, the baptism in the Holy Spirit. This reveals the divine pattern in the Bible that God wants every believer, including you, to experience. He wants you to have that second baptism. If you have never asked Jesus to baptize you in the Holy Spirit, he has power available for you today. All you have to do is reach out by faith and say, Lord, and I can help you with this. Please baptize me in the power of the Holy Spirit. If you'll ask Jesus, Jesus will introduce you to an entirely new dimension of walking in the power of God. And I can help you with that, too. Amen. So I, I don't want you to be confused on this. The first one is we're, uh, it's still uh, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Is that what we just talked about? But it's not by the Holy Spirit. It's by Jesus. One will come after. Remember when he said that one will come after me uh, that will baptize you in Holy Ghost and in fire. You seen that? So when we accept Jesus, the Lord of, Lord of our life, of what we call the baptism of the blood because of the sacrifice, it's be, through through the power of the spirit of God. He puts us in Christ. You guys seeing that? So it's about what the Holy Spirit does. And then when we when uh, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, it's what Jesus imparts into us. Are you guys getting that? So I don't want you to be confused because forever it's like the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And it is the baptism of the Holy Spirit, but it's what Jesus puts into you. Are you getting that? All right. Y'all learned something yet tonight? All right. Believer's baptism. See, it was baptisms, not baptism. Believer's baptism. Now let's explore the third baptism that is mentioned in the Bible. Baptism number three is performed by believers. If you're a believer, raise your hand. All right. Again, there must be a baptizer and a person who's being baptized and a substance into which one is being baptized. In this case, the baptizer is a believer or a spiritual leader, and the substance into which one is baptized is water. Also, as we've seen, the Greek word baptizo depicts a full immersion, not just a sprinkling of water. This is water, this is water baptism as revealed in the Word of God. And, and, and not by uh, a denomination but by the word. This third baptism can occur any moment after salvation. If you, have, if you had any form of water baptism before you were saved, before you knowledgeably uh, repeat, repented of sin and came to cr faith in Christ with the full understanding of what you were doing, it really doesn't count. And uh, I, I was kind of bold to say that, but I think it's important. There was later on a time, I got baptized when I was a little boy. But I did lots of things in between that time. And uh, I, I think even as, even as a boy, even though we hear the word of God and it's in part, we don't have a full understanding of it. I think it's important we baptize kids. Do you, uh, you agree? I think it's important that they see us be baptized. I think it's a great example. But I got baptized later in life when I had a full understanding of being buried in Christ, what we're about to talk about. And I think it's important that we have that. You know, there's 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 actually people probably in this room and I'm one of them that um, 
I just felt an impression in my spirit to have that act of obedience in front of everybody. You know what I call this baptism? I don't have it in here, but I call it the wedding ring of your salvation. Because what is a wedding ring? It proves to the whole world that you belong to somebody. Right? Brandy's always telling me, don't you be going to shoe horses without that wedding ring. That's why I finally got a tattoo on here because shoeing horses, Jim, with a wedding ring on can be a little dangerous at times running a nail through there. But but the point of it is, I, I don't realize this, but women look at wedding rings. They, they look for those things on a man's hand. And what are they seeing? They're seeing that he is taken or does he act like he's taken? And so what happens is when we're baptized, I call why well, I call it the wedding ring is because it shows just like you come before everybody when you get married and you put that ring on their finger. You're telling everybody that you belong to that person. And when you're baptized and you're in that act of obedience, you are saying, I belong to Jesus. No turning back. You seeing that? I didn't put that in here, but that's that's a bonus. You actually need to be rebaptized once you have been, uh, have repented and received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, because true New Testament water baptism only occurs after that after salvation. This is very important principle to grasp because water baptism is the symbolic burying of the old man. In Romans 6, 4, therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death. In fact, Romans chapter 6, read the whole verse or read the whole chapter because it starts off saying, even if grace is a part of a life, do we keep on sinning? He's really pointing out something. If there's sin in your life, you need to get this buried, right? And so a person's old nature has to be crucified with Christ through the act of salvation before the person can be scripturally water baptized. Because when a person is baptized in water, he or she buries the old man. Aren't you thankful that you buried the old man that has stayed in the water? that believer shows forth his death to sin as well as his being raised to newness of life in the act of water baptism. In Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20, it says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me and the life which I now live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. This is such a critical subject to understand that Paul... Uh, dedicated 10 verses in Romans chapter 6 to the subject of baptism. Oh, I forgot to put the whole. It's not the whole chapter, but this is enough. Y'all ready? What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Oh, that's so good. I'm just going to give you a little tidbit. This weekend, I'm talking to John chapter 5. I'm having a hard time not going here, but in John chapter 5, at the pool of Bethesda, which was the pool of Siloam, wasn't it? The Pool of Siloam, which is the Pool of Bethesda. Bethesda is known as the place, uh, as the house of mercy or the house of grace. As I thought about that particular text, um, this man, if you don't know the text, he had been there for 38 years and he was waiting for an angel to come and stir the waters. You know what I'm talking about. Well, if you don't know, you come this weekend and you'll get a dose of it. But I'm having a hard time not going because every time when I see a number, I have to look it up. You know what five means? It means grace. It means grace. Think about this. Five days, God created the animals. He created the plants. He created the stars and heavens. What do you do on the sixth day? 
He created man. And what did he give man? He gave him grace. He said, all of these things, I've already created them. You didn't have to do them. You seeing that? So it's the number five. Five, Jesus was pierced in, in five different places. He pierced on his head, and hand, hand, feet, and in his side. He is the picture of grace. So as thinking about this particular text here, here is a man who had been sitting in a portico. The Bible says it had five porticos. So it had five porches. So it was the house of grace. There was the number five. It's pointing out to me. There is people that have sat what they call under grace way too long. You see what I'm saying? I mean, by grace we are saved, but there's people that make an excuse for it, and they make a bed for it, and they sit there and die for 38 years. I'm having a hard time not going there. I got other, I got, I got other ways, directions to go, but I love it when numbers come out to me because it speaks to me. Because when any, I'm telling you, God is a God of order. Paul said this, do things in decency and in order. And I'm telling you, as I study the word of God, there's a reason there's numbers in there. Right? So it says, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. How many of y'all know we ought to act like it? For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. For he who has died has been freed from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. I'm telling you, this is a good chapter. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ, our Jesus, our Lord. So Jesus also showed us how important water baptism is to the spiritual foundation of new believers when he gave the church what we call the Great Commission. In Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20, it says, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. So there's five things that Christ commands us very clearly in this verse. Number one, go. I mean, y'all know we're supposed to go. Number two, go into all the world. And uh, this particular text here, I believe it means not only the seven continents and, and uh, all the countries, however many there are, and the 50 states in the United States of America, but I believe this, this word world here means your world, right? Go into all the Pakistaks. Go into all the targets. Go into all the schools. Amen? Go into all the government buildings that belong to us anyway. We might as well 
proclaim the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. So go into all the world. Here's the third one. Make disciples. Um, that could mean your children. Are you making disciples? Number four, baptize them in water. Are you seeing this? This is a commandment. Number five, teach them the word of God. So water baptism is a vital, integral part of this five-part assignment. The act of water baptism does not save, but when a person allows the one doing the baptizing to fully immerse him in water, or we could say when that person is buried under the water, it is his public declaration. I tell you, those of you that have some wild children that are being baptized, you, you slip me and Pastor Robert a 20, we'll hold them under, we'll bury them for as long as you'd like. All right? As long as you need them under there. It is his public declaration. My old life is dead. It is buried. Right? And just like Jesus was raised from the dead, I'm being raised out of this water, declaring that I'm going to walk in my new life in Christ from this moment forward. And that moment in time, through the deliberate act of obedience and faith, that believer is marked as a follower of Jesus. Christians who skip this step are never water baptized, are never water baptized, tend to struggle. Let me say it again. Christians who skip this step and are never water baptized tend to struggle with obeying God in many areas during the course of their lives. There is a reason for this. Although a person doesn't have to be baptized in water to be saved, he does have to be baptized in water to be obedient. I told you guys a story of a friend of mine that was about to put, put a guy in a, in a major role uh, in the youth ministry in his church. And he had told people, you don't have to be water baptized to be saved. And, and that is true. But he, t it, he asked him if he'd been water baptized, and he said, no, he didn't. He said, well, I, I have concerns on putting you in the place of leadership because water baptism is an act of obedience, and if you're not obedient in this, you may not, not be obedient to me or to what God has in store for you. Jesus specifically commanded those who believe in him to be water baptized at the birth of the church. It was the first commandment given to those who convicted by the gospel message. Ask what they were to do. Peter told the people, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. In fact, in Peter's statement, we actually find all three of the baptisms that are part of every believer's spiritual foundation. In both of these scriptures, Matthew 28, 19 and Acts 2, 38, Jesus and the Apostle Peter show us the pattern on this subject of the third baptism. Water baptism is to be a believer's first act of obedience. And the, the way new believers respond to this scriptural command really determines a lot about their future Christian walk. Believers who start with water baptism set themselves on a strategic path to be obedient for the rest of their Christian lives. On the other hand, we can see what happens with Christians who skip or disregard this step in the building of their spiritual foundation. Those who say, well, I don't really think water baptism is that important. They're, they're the ones who often fall out of fellowship and eventually fall back into sin. Or they struggle with being obedient in many areas of their lives. That would make sense because they argued with the Lord at the very first point of obedience.
Their decision, perhaps even innocently, to disregard this foundational step forms a pattern of disobedience in their life. In the early church, although water baptism was not essential for salvation, it was considered essential in order for one to walk as, as a serious disciple. That's why from the beginning to the end of the book of Acts, we find the divine pattern, people who were water baptized immediately after they were saved. In Acts chapter 8, verse 12, it was Sumerians believed and were baptized. But when they believed Philip, preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Notice how quickly the new converts were baptized. Again, although water baptism was not essential for salvation, it was not considered to be optional. Are you seeing that? As it would help frame the new believer's walk of obedience to God. Jesus had commanded it, and the early preachers of the gospel clearly understood that water baptism was the first step of obedience. You know, I'd really like that if we, you know, you walk the aisle. Okay, let me just walk you up there and dunk you in the tank. I mean, scripturally, that, that's the way, way it ought to be. And I know some, some people that are set up to do that. You need, like, you know, places for ladies to do their hair and things like that. But uh, I love it. Let's let's go ahead and make this get this show on the road. I mean, y'all know you want to you want to be in obedience right away, right away. In Acts eight thirteen, even Simon, the sorcerer, was immediately baptized after he believed. Then Simon himself believed also. And when he was baptized, he continued with Philip and wondered, beholding the miracle and signs which were done. See, the act of obedience opened up the supernatural in his life. In Acts 8, 36 and 38, when the, the eunuch heard the gospel, he repented, believed, and immediately was water baptized. We see it right here. And as they went on their way, they came unto a certain water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stand still, and they went down both in the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. In Acts 9, 17, another example, verse 18 and 18, Saul of Tarsus who had just been saved on the road to Damascus, was immediately water baptized after an Ananias prayed for him to receive his sight and be filled with the Spirit. And Ananias went his way and entered into the house. And putting his hands on him, said, Brother Saul, the Lord, Jesus, the Lord even Jesus, that appeared unto thee in the way as thou came, camest, hath, hath sent me, that thou mightest receive thy sight and be filled with the Holy Ghost. And immediately there fell from his eyes as it had been scales, and he received sight forthwith and arose and was baptized. You seeing it? Remember that Saul had already been saved on the road to Damascus. His eternal state had already been sealed by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit had already baptized Saul into Christ. But Saul had not yet received the second or third baptism. As you study the book of Acts, you'll notice that sometimes the order of the second and third baptisms vary. In this case, Ananias laid hands on Saul, and Saul was filled with or baptized in the Holy Spirit. Then at the end of verse 18, it says he was water baptized. So Paul received all three baptisms. Since all three were vital for New Testament believers, we need all three baptisms as well, in Acts chapter 10 and verse 44 through 48, the household of Cornelius believed in Christ and all were immediately baptized. Notice Peter's question in verse 47 and 48. After Cornelius and his household were born again and filled with the Holy Spirit, 
Can any man forbid water that these should be not be baptized, which have received the Holy Ghost as well as we? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. The apostle asked, in essence, can any man object to these Gentiles being water baptized? Since it's evident that they all believe in Christ. Once again, in this passage of scripture, we find all three baptisms in demonstration. Cornelius and his household heard the gospel and believed. We know based on doctrine that the moment they believed in Christ, the Holy Spirit baptized them into the church. This is the Holy Spirit's instant work that accompanies salvation. They also were baptized in water and were filled with the Holy Spirit. So all three baptisms happen in two verses. This is the pattern we find again and again and again in the New Testament. In Acts 16, 14, and 15, Lydia heard the gospel from the Apostle Paul, and after she and her household believed in Christ, they were immediately baptized. And a certain woman named Lydia, a seller of purple of the city of Thyatira, which worshiped God, heard us, whose heart the Lord opened, that she attended unto the things which were spoken of Paul, and when she was baptized in her household, she besought us, saying, If ye have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and abide there. And she constrained us. In Acts 16, 29-34, we see the Philippian jailer and his household repented and believed in Christ. And afterwards, verse 33 tells us they were immediately baptized. And he took them the same hour of the night, and washed their stripes, and was baptized, he and all his straight way. In Acts 19, 1-5, when Paul met that group of men in upper Ephesus, he led them to Christ and got them filled with the Holy Spirit. Then in verse 5, it tells us that immediately, without delay, they were water baptized. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Again, you can go to heaven without water baptism. But the level of victory you have in your life will be affected by whether or not you have been baptized in water. Water baptism is not essential for salvation, but it is essential in order to be a true disciple. One who is obedient to the commands of Jesus. You see that? True disciple. This was the pattern of the New Testament. The early believers understood that this third baptism was a requirement. And that it started the pattern of obedience in a person's life. It was also recognized as the moment a new convert joined a local body of believers. So to review, these three baptisms are included in the foundational doctrine of baptism. Baptism by the Holy Spirit in the body of Christ. This occurs at the moment of salvation without our participation. Well, we do participate when we ask Jesus to be the Lord of our life. But you see what I'm saying. It's what the Holy Spirit does. Number two, baptism by Jesus into the power of the Holy Spirit. This can either happen immediately following the moment of salvation or any time after that, after salvation. Baptism by believers into water. Believers can receive water baptism at any time after they are saved, which in, in a very real way begins their life of obedience to God. It is God's will for you to experience all three baptisms and to walk in the fullness of what each one was designed to add to your spiritual foundation. Did you guys get something tonight? How many of y'all learned something? All right. Praise the Lord. Well, next week, 
We're going to talk about the doctrine of laying on of hands. And uh, I really believe that you will find that very interesting. And you will also see it to be very powerful. And you will also know why in a meeting when the man of God says, if you'd like an impartation, why well, I'll run to the front. Because there is an impartation that's done through the laying on of hands. Mark 16 says this. I told Andrew this tonight. It says, these signs will follow him who believe. You'll lay hands on the sick and see them recover. In, in, a, uh, in the book of first, 2 Timothy 1 and verse 6, he said, remember to stir up the gift that's on the inside of you that was done by elders through the laying on of hands. We see in 1 Timothy, not, not to go ahead and go where I'm going, but in 1 Timothy chapter 4, or yeah, 4, it talks about the elders of the church, of the impartation that was put into him. And what Paul is writing to Timothy in, in 2 Timothy 1 and verse 6, he said, stir up that gift that has been put in you through the laying on of hands. I'm telling you, there's something powerful to it. And there's a doctrine to it. We're going to talk about it next week. Who's going to be here next week? All right. Doctrine of laying on of hands. Lord, we thank you for this time tonight. We thank you, Lord, for the doctrine of baptism. And, Lord, I just pray that, uh, um, Lord, I pray that this doesn't go on deaf ears tonight. But, uh, Lord, I just pray that we would, um, um, God, that we walk fully in all of these. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to communicate them to others, help us to communicate them to our kids. Lord, I just pray over your people right now. I pray you supply all of their needs according to your riches and glory by Christ Jesus. I pray I will say to the Lord that you'd be their refuge and their fortress. In you, God, they put their trust. I pray, Lord, tonight that as they leave here, that you keep your angels charged round about them. Keep them in all their ways that no evil befall them. No weapon formed against them shall prosper. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you all for coming tonight. Thanks for joining us. We want to thank all of you who give to our ministries here at AOL Church. It's because of you that all of this is possible. You can give now by clicking the link below. And if you haven't already, subscribe and share this message. It helps us reach more people and share the gospel through you. Be sure to stay connected to us through our Church Center app, our website, arenaoflifechurch.org, and follow us on social media like Facebook and Instagram. May the Lord bless you and keep you. His face shine upon you, be gracious to you, and give you peace. Thanks again for listening. Go and make a difference today.